Well, if you have your Bibles open to Luke 8, I'm excited to continue this walk through Luke's gospel. Uh, We have been learning a lot. God is teaching us many, many things, uh, and I'm excited to continue that together. But first, I want to tell you about a day several, several years ago. I was actually still in high school, and I remember uh, sitting in my biology class on a Tuesday morning with my friend Justin, and we were probably half talking, half paying attention to Miss Nugent, who was the teacher. And I remember, you know, she had told us, like, whatever. I write down on the board. It's a good idea to write that down in your notes. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, lady. Till I went to college, turns out she was right, but that's another story. Uh, so I remember sitting in class, it's just an average, normal, everyday Tuesday until Mr. Baker, our principal, came on the intercom system and informed us of the terror attacks that were happening on September 11th, 2001. And at that age, you know, 14 or 15, however old I was, it was one of those early moments in my life where I realized that an ordinary day can become extraordinary in an instant. That it doesn't take a lot for our normal everyday life to all of a sudden not be so normal and not be so everyday. I know that uh, we have kiddos in here and students in here, and I just want to tell you that we recognize that even at a young age, people have had to come to reality with that, that life is not always easy. In fact, life oftentimes is hard, and we are all one phone call away from our world being turned upside down today and the illusion of control that we have being gone in an instant. Now, I don't say that to depress you today, but rather I say that today for us to be reminded that every single one of us go through those kind of moments in our life, whether it be something that affects our entire nation, or maybe it's just something that affects your family, or maybe even just you. But the reality is, is that God uses those kind of moments to test and prove our faith. I know that on a day like today where we're talking about how we walk through the storms of life, I'm in. Uh, I'm very aware that, that in these doors this morning walked in a lot of heartache. Some of you today are in the middle of a storm in your life. Some of you are right in the middle of a difficult season that, that maybe all of us know about and have been praying for you. Perhaps none of us know about it. Perhaps not even the closest people in your life even know what you're walking through today. But I want to tell you that God does know what you're going through today and that he is here and that God wants to even use even those moments in your life to mold and shape you into the person that he wants you to be. God uses the storms of life to help us become who it is that he wants us to be. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower and we said that the seed is the word of God and as the word of God goes forth, different types of hearts or different types of soil that receive the word of God in different ways. And if you remember, one of those soils was uh, the soil that it said that springs up quickly, the rocky soil. It receives it with joy, yet when trials come, it fades away. And some people don't ever even receive the faith. Uh, Some people, though, receive the faith, but then the thorns of life choke out and start its growth. So we never become what we should be in Christ because we're too busy concerned about the cares of the world. And then finally, the good soil is that that receives the word holds it fast with a good heart and produces fruit for the kingdom of God. And we asked ourselves, what type of soil are we? Well, it's no accident that after this parable, Jesus immediately is going to get on this boat with his disciples and they are going to encounter some great difficulties. 
And then when they get across the lake or the Sea of Galilee, Luke refers to it as a lake, but the others as the Sea of Galilee. When they get across, they're going to encounter people who are going through very difficult circumstances. And we're going to see that through all of these circumstances, that ultimately the way people respond to the storms of life reveal their faith and where they're at in their faith. So that's what we're going to kind of chat about today. Uh, Whether you're walking through a a literal storm or a figurative storm, we're going to read about both types here and we're going to see the Lord teaching us. Now, I do want to tell you, we're about to read a really long section of scripture. I mean, really, like I'm just going to level with you. This is longer than what you would normally have read on a Sunday morning. Some of you are like, we picked the worst day to visit, but that's okay. All right. Uh, Did you know the early church scripture reading was a pretty integral part of what the church did when they got together. So we are reading a long scripture. I don't want you to panic. I'm not walking verse by verse through this whole thing. All right. Uh, you know that I do that a lot of times. So I don't want any of you thinking, wow, we should have put lunch in a crock pot. We're going to be all right. We're going to really focus in on one section of this, but I want us to kind of be able to zoom out and see the bigger picture of what the Lord is saying to us through Luke chapter eight. So we're going to start here in verse 22 and read the word of the Lord together. Are you ready? Verse 22 says, one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, master, master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out onto the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had lived in a, not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter into these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned back across the lake, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. 
As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind them and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Will you pray with me? Lord, we need your help today as we think about the storms of life. Lord, I know this is an emotionally charged message for us because we really can't help but think about current situations we're walking through in our lives. Lord, this world can be so challenging for us. Some of us are going through life and death issues. Some of us are going through what many would consider first world problems, yet the reality is they do affect us. And every single one of us would just come to you today and say, we need your help. So as we face the storms and difficulties, the trials and tribulations of this life, would you show us how to do this in such a way that increases our faith and helps us become more like you? Help us, Jesus. We're listening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, again, immediately following this time of teaching, we see Jesus now leading his disciples into challenging circumstances, not only for them, but for all the other people that they're encountering in this next couple of days. And some of you, as we read that, were like, "Pooh, that's heavy, and that's a lot of reading. Imagine living that with Jesus for a couple days, right? Uh, Like there are days where I feel like emotionally and spiritually drained after a crazy experience. They just went through like bam, 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 like all of these crazy crazy, awesome things, yet we see that God is working in and through them despite all of the struggles and trials that they're walking through. And what Jesus had been teaching them about, again, was do you have a real and genuine faith? Have you really received Christ? Do we have receptive hearts that take the word of God and apply it to our lives? And what we're going to see is that these situations actually help reveal, strengthen, and prove our faith in Christ. In fact, Jesus specifically mentions faith multiple times in that lengthy passage we just read. And what we're going to ultimately discover is that our response to the storm reveals the strength of our faith. Our response to the storm, whether it be literal or figurative, reveals the strength of our faith. 
As we read through that, we'll come back and talk about the literal storm here in just a moment. But just think with me what we see happening. Of course, you see the disciples responding here. We'll talk about that response. But then they get across the lake, and this lake is actually the Sea of Galilee. Luke refers to it as a lake because it really is more like a lake in terms of size from what we would think. They get across, and they get off the boat, and they're in the land of the Gerasenes. And then there's this man who uh, is living in the cemetery and doesn't wear clothes. So that's crazy. That's in the Bible. This actually happened, right? And it says that they would even bind him with chains and he would break the chains and run into the desert. He's a demon-possessed man that Jesus encounters. And Jesus miraculously heals him. And there's this crazy scene where a herd of pigs run off the side of a cliff. It's a really crazy story that I think, again, we need to remember, it's in the Bible, this actually happened. Can you imagine that? It's wild. Yet in this moment, we see that this man is calling out to Jesus who has been healed. And he's saying, Jesus, I want to be with you. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to surrender to you. I'm ready to do everything that you tell me to do. I am with you. But then we see the people of the town. When they find out that the crazy naked man from the cemetery is now in his right mind and wearing clothes, everybody from the town comes out to see this. So everybody from the surrounding area all comes and they see him and they're like, wow, the crazy guy's not crazy anymore. That's incredible. Jesus, you are the real son of God and I want to worship you with all of my life. No, that's not what they did, is it? What'd they do? They said, get out of here. You killed our pigs. That's our food. That's our living and it's gone. This is too much for us. They were afraid and they said, get out of here. When difficult circumstances find us, It has a way of causing us to either press into Jesus like this demon-possessed man or push him away like the people in that region did. Jesus gets on the boat, goes back across, and then when he gets back across, he gets off the boat. The crowd is still there. (laughs) I wonder if Jesus, like, of course, Jesus is, you know, he knows everything, so I don't think that he, like, was thinking, well, maybe they'll be gone. And then he got closer and closer. It's like, oh, they're still there. But I bet the disciples were like, oh, man, here we go again, right? They get to shore. Jesus gets off the boat, and the crowd, it says, is pressing in on him. Does anybody, like, I don't like crowds. Like, I want a crowd to come to church so they can know Jesus, right? So don't, uh, we got to open some seats. Pastor Rusty's getting nervous. No, don't do that, right? But, but crowds, like if you're at a concert or something, like it's just tough. Like a lot of people, this is like a mosh pit of people. And we've said this before. It's also like a mosh pit of sick people because they all want to be healed by Jesus, right? This is my nightmare, okay? Uh, but anyways, so Jesus gets off the boat. People are pressing in and then comes Jairus, who is a leader of the synagogue. Leaders of the synagogue, not a fan of Jesus, right? We've established that. But this guy is in a desperate situation, and when we get in a desperate situation, it causes some to press in to Christ. So he goes to Jesus and says, come help. As they're going, the crowd is all around them, and then there's this woman who has had this medical issue and has spent all of her money and her life trying to do something about it ostracized in society because of the type of medical issue she had and she saw her opportunity and she pressed in through the crowd and touched Jesus she's healed Jesus says your faith has made you well when crisis comes she is pressed into Jesus but again note that she had already done everything else she could but then she finally goes to Jesus and touches him and is healed then they get to the scene of the basically funeral you know they came to Jesus said hey don't come anymore she's dead 
Jesus goes anyways. I like that Jesus just does what he wants because he's Jesus, right? Like, don't worry about it. He's like, no, we're good. Let's go. And I love that mom and dad still went, right? Like, they're like, I don't know. Just go. He said, go. I'm okay. You know, like I'm just assuming, right? That was my, yeah, yeah. So your marriage doesn't work like that? Okay, cool. Uh, so they go and they get there. And again, notice what happens. The parents, the parents are pressing into Jesus, trusting Jesus, walking with Jesus in these moments. And then the crowd, what? Laughs at him. I mean, she's dead. When we encounter difficult situations, we tend to either press into Jesus or push away for Jesus. Our response to the storm tends to reveal the strength of our faith. Let's go all the way back to the first story that we read, the literal storm that we encounter. What started this whole section off, Jesus is in a boat. The other gospel accounts of this tell us that the teaching that we studied, Jesus had been on a boat when he was teaching. Because if you remember, the crowd pressed in so much that he couldn't teach anymore. So he got in a boat and went out a little ways into the water so that he could teach this massive crowd. So at some point, rather than going back and facing the crowd that day, Jesus was worn out. Because let me just tell you something, teaching will wear you out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, I know some of you do like, uh, you know, what you would call a real job compared to what I do. And I hear you on that, right? But I'll just tell you, days when I physically work really hard, it's a different type of tired. I am absolutely worthless on Sunday afternoons. My wife amended that in the first service, and it really upset me. But So y'all pray for us. But it's just the reality. And I only teach for probably like an hour, hour and a half total between our two services. So imagine, so if you're visiting, you're, you're you know, praise God, you're not going to be here all day. But at the end of that, I'm exhausted, so I can't imagine Jesus who had literally taught all day without amplification to this massive crowd. He was worn out, so worn out that as they head out into the water, he says, hey, I'm going to go get a nap. And Jesus goes and sleeps. A beautiful picture, by the way, of the humanity of Christ. Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. He got tired. Jesus understands when you're tired. So he goes and he lays down and falls asleep. And then this massive storm comes. And uh, we actually have some church, uh, part of our church family is over in Israel right now. I bet they got to see some of this geography and landscape that we're talking about now. But the Sea of Galilee is geographically built where it is kind of low and where things come over. And it is just geographically and meteorologically, is that even a word? But just go with it, right? Perfectly set up to have storms that come and go very quickly. Now, you need to remember the disciples, before they left everything to follow Jesus, what were they? Fishermen. So these are professional boating people. If this was me out there, it probably would be scary, right? Like I would just, if a cloud comes, I'm like, go back to the shore, go back to the shore, go back to the shore, right? But they had been in this life. They had been in this volatile environment where storms would instantly come upon them their entire lives. Yet that indicates that this was not just your everyday average storm. This was serious, They were doing what they could. In fact, the text tells us that they did everything they could until finally they had to go get Jesus. So they go and get Jesus, and as they're getting him, I love that they're basically just saying like, hey, master, wake up, we're about to die. (laughs) You may want to be be awake for this, we're about to die. Hey, just if we're ever there, y'all just let me sleep, all right? Can I just say, (laughs) maybe, okay, you're not with me. I guess I'll wake you up then. Uh, So anyway, but they go and wake him up and say, hey, master, we're dying, we're dying. The Bible says that Jesus came out and rebuked the wind and the waves. Isn't that kind of crazy? Think about this. Do waves hear? Does the wind hear? 
I don't necessarily think so. I don't think that Luke is trying to personify nature in this way. I think Jesus did this for the benefit of his disciples and also for the benefit of those of us who would be studying God's word even this very day in this very moment. It's to show that Jesus had power and authority over nature. And when he said for all of it to cut it out, which that's, that's my interpretation, he like walked in and said, y'all stop it, and it got quiet, right? But here's what's pretty phenomenal. Why, why did it scare the disciples? Again, the disciples have seen storms come and go, but this calming of the storm is different than your average calming of the storm. Imagine with me that uh, the waves are coming in so much that they're going over into the boat, and it's bigger than these lifelong Sea of Galilee workers had ever encountered in their life before, waves that high and that terrifying. If Jesus were to say, okay, wind, that's enough, and the storm were to depart, what would happen to the water? It would continue to do that for a while, right? Like it doesn't just instantly stop when the storm stops because you've got all that water that's moving and sloshing around. But in this moment, Jesus said stop and the storm stopped and the waves stopped simultaneously. And that's why the disciples kind of freak out, to be honest. Not only did Jesus stop the storm, but this was a miraculous, crazy, over-the-top evidence of his power and dominion over nature everything was crazy and then everything was still and Jesus said where is your faith and I love what the disciples said who is this guy they've been with this guy for a long time they've seen him heal people already and their first question is like even the wind even the waves even nature itself like we've seen him cast demons out we thought he was doing some magic trick but now he's making nature listen who is this? Who is this? The truth is, you don't have to live very long to know that storms come for all of us. Hopefully, you won't encounter a literal storm like this. Uh, I probably won't because I, you know, I'm like life jacket. Let's make sure I can see the shore wherever I'm at. You know, that's just. But anyways, that's just me. But again, the reality is, every single one of us face storms in our lives and they tend to hit us when we least expect it but the thing is as Christ followers we can live with confidence to know that even when we are walking through the midst of the storm God is using those storms to make us more like him here's something I love about the scriptures as you move through the gospels into the new testament you see people like John you see people like Peter, you see even the Apostle Paul later on who wasn't here for this but encountered his fair share of persecution, writing letters to the church saying, don't be afraid. I know you're going through hard times, but God is using these hard times to make you more like him. What's cool about this is that Jesus' disciples had experienced it. And they went from timid here in verses 22 through 25 to later on in the Bible, writing with boldness and calling God's people to be able to withstand whatever it is that comes their way. Let's just think about Peter here for just a moment. Peter has this encounter, and then, of course, we know that when Jesus was uh, going through the passion that Jesus denied Christ three times, and uh, we know Peter had his issues for sure. Yet about a year ago when I first came, one of the first, actually the first message I preached was from 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, this is what Peter writes to a church that was going through incredible persecution, a church, a storm really that's just beyond 
comprehension for us. They had lost loved ones to a brutal Roman regime that was killing Christians. People had fled from their homes and their cities that they'd grown up in all to escape persecution. And this is what Peter writes in his letter. He says, rejoice in your salvation. Why? Because 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter said, hey, I know you're going through really ridiculous things. I know that you don't see the end and you're not aware of how this is all going to turn out right now. But here's what I want you to know, that God is using all of this to make you more like him and strengthen your faith. Now, I know how this goes. As I'm preaching this message today, I just know that some of you are like, okay, talk to me about trials, 33-year-old. Go for it, man. And I recognize that. But can I tell you something? Peter and the disciples, I'm just reading my Bible to you. They lived it at a level that you and I can't even really wrap our brains around. And they're the ones who are boldly saying this. I'm sure as Peter penned those words and said, yeah, I know you're going through it, but you know it's going to make you more like Jesus. Do you think he was thinking back to that night on the boat? Do you think he was thinking of when he thought he was going to die, but Jesus saved them? Do you think he was thinking about all the other times where he saw these people, he saw a demon-possessed man that nobody could help, Jesus saved him. A woman who could not ever be healed, Jesus healed her. A girl who was dead, Jesus healed her. And we could just go on and on and on and on through the gospel accounts because they had seen Jesus do the impossible time and time again and actually use trials and difficulties to strengthen their faith. It's a beautiful thing that we have here in the scriptures. The Bible says we can rejoice in the storms we face because we know that those storms are helping us be more like Jesus. So how can we respond to the trials of life, the storms of life in a way that helps us accomplish that? What can we do? What I want us to see here is what storms are actually leading us toward. What should the storm cause us to do? What is God trying to accomplish in us when we're walking through these difficult seasons? There are three things I want us to see. The first one is this. We need to recognize who Jesus is. We need to recognize who Jesus is. In verse 25, again, they ask that question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Scripture is pointing to the power and authority that Jesus had over nature. In the next story, we saw that Jesus has power and authority over the demonic influences and the demonic realm, the spiritual realm. And then we see that he has power and authority over sickness. And then ultimately, he has power and authority even over death. Friends, did you know that Jesus has power and authority over everything, that he rules over all? that he is the creator and sustainer of this universe. The Bible says he holds everything together by the word of his immovable power. That is the savior that we worship. And when we know who he is, it should cause us to have great confidence even in the midst of whatever it is that we're walking through. 
I'm concerned today because there seems to be so much out there, so much teaching that leads us towards ourselves, that calls us to look within and to fix yourself. There's so much self-help preaching out there today that's all about becoming the best you that you can possibly be. It's about unleashing whatever it is, inner thing you've got that's going to be able to help your situation. But you need to recognize something today. You are not able to save yourself in the storms. And the Bible is not interested in empowering you as much as the Bible is interested in you getting your eyes off of you. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the call is to get your eyes off of you, get your eyes off of the storm, and set your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has power and dominion over all things. Do you recognize how big our God is? Friends, what happens is when we focus on us, Jesus kind of just turns into everybody's life coach. Y'all, Jesus is the one who created all, sustains all, and is in all. When you recognize that, it's a game changer. So when you recognize who he is, what's the next practical step? Well, if you recognize who he is, you ought to run to him, right? When you recognize who Jesus is, you run to him. We see this here in the text. Of course, I want to point out something I think is interesting and it's worth noting again. The disciples did everything they could to fix it themselves before they went to Jesus, right? And even in these other stories, you know, the people had tried to bind this man who was demon-possessed. They did everything they could until Jesus came along. This woman had spent all her money trying to fix it until they came. I promise you the, the leader in the synagogue did everything he could before he went to Jesus, who was their enemy. How much time do we waste because we don't recognize who he is and run to him immediately? Disciples did the same thing. But here's what I want to remind you of. A few weeks ago, we talked about faith in these terms. We said that faith is shifting from putting our faith in ourselves and our own works instead to where we shift to placing our faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And here's what we said. You may have a weak faith today, but it's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the object of your faith. So you may be like the disciples. The disciples did everything they could, and even they're still in the middle of this. They called him master in this section. Some uh, these the same stories in the other gospels, they called him Lord and some. They called him teacher and others. But we're not going to see until chapter 9 that they actually say, you are the Christ, the Son of God. They're still putting it all together. They couldn't articulate the gospel yet. They're still in the middle of their journey, but their faith had shifted to Jesus. And even though they didn't have it all together yet, their faith was in Christ. And even though they were still a mess, to be honest, they were safe and secure because they were founded on the rock. Friends, you may not have it all together today. You may not have all the answers. You may still have a lot of questions. But can I just tell you, faith means that we recognize who he is and that we run to Jesus and put our life upon him. He's big enough and strong enough and God enough for your questions And he is able to deliver us. Even when we feel like we have weak faith, when we are weak, he is strong. We have to run to Jesus. Only he can calm the storms in our lives. 
And then once we get there, we have to do, I think, what is the hardest part of this, and that's to rest in Jesus. We have to rest in Jesus. The fruit of faith is trust. The fruit of faith is trusting in Jesus. You want to see how strong your faith is? See how much you are trusting in Jesus in the midst of these situations. And here, again, some of you are here today, and that trust level is not very high. You may be on the rock, but you're like these guys on the boat saying, we're all going to die. But you're still on the rock. But the more we walk through these experiences, just like Peter, Peter goes from we're all going to die to saying, hey, what you're walking through today, don't even worry about it. Not even worth comparing to the salvation that God has given You know, the struggles you're going through now, no big deal, basically, is what he says. Even though you're going through these trials, even though it's hard, ultimately, in the scheme of eternity, it's not going to matter because Jesus is worth it. The same guy who thought he was going to die in verse 22 and a few decades later is proclaiming to a church going through turbulence, God's got this. So the question for us is, have we shifted our faith? Have we run to him and when we're here? But here's the question I have for you today. Are you truly resting in Jesus? I gotta grab something real quick. I'm not leaving. Y'all stay where you're at. Nobody leave. Ushers, lock the doors. So some of you have probably seen and heard this illustration and experienced this before, but we talk about faith a lot of times. We, it's, it's like resting and putting your full weight on something. I, I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but I'm a big guy. So, uh, spoiler alert. So, some of you maybe have had this struggle, and you don't even have to be a big guy to know this struggle. Have you ever seen a chair that looked questionable? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, people are like, hey, pastor, sit down. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. And you know, like the whole time, if you've ever sat in a chair that was questionable, then you know, you know the drill, right? Like it's kind of a, you know, like you're kind of like halfway, you know, kind of holding yourself up a little bit, you know, kind of half standing, half sitting. Uh, I'm telling you, like I, I was picking on a couple that I attended their wedding a few months ago. They were in the first service and I was like, I just thought I was going to end up on America's Funniest Home Videos that you're, from your wedding footage, but praise God it didn't happen, Right. So it says, you've been in that situation probably before, and, and I know that for me, when, it talks, when I think about faith, I think about letting our full weight rest on Christ. And here's the problem. Many of you are tired and exhausted today because your faith looks like this. You're kind of holding yourself up. You're uh, trying to do whatever you can to maintain yourself. And, you know, you may get, you may get jacked because I'm feeling it right now. I might be sore tomorrow. That's how little I work out, all right? But, like, I'm just like, whatever it takes just to kind of not really rest in the chair. But here's what Jesus is inviting us to do. As our faith is strengthened over time, as we experience that, you know what, I've trusted in him before and he hasn't failed me yet, then we're able to be more confident. And over time, we're able to actually completely let our weight rest in this chair. It's actually nice. I think I might just start preaching sitting down like a Hawaiian shirt away from Rick Warren right now. That's, a, that's, a, that's a definitely an inside baseball joke there, but that's all right. How many of you are at this place in your faith today? Or you can fully rest in Christ and his accomplished work. Some of you are going through a storm today, and, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. If I'm being honest today, I think my walk is some of 
hey, God is good. Amen. And then if you look a few weeks later, I'm kind of bracing myself a little bit because I tend to struggle with trusting God completely. But the invitation today is to fully rest in Christ. And when we fully rest in him and we understand that he's got this, then it is a game changer for us. But here's again what I want to make sure that we affirm. This is why I'm so serious about us teaching the Bible. Because some of you, again, would really appreciate today if I'd be like, all right, here's four steps to doing a storm. All right, here's what you do in a storm. First, you need to do this, then you need to do that. Then, you... But can I tell you, if we teach a man-centered approach to this, we will not be able to be held. If this was on us, can I just tell you something? It ain't going to work. You are falling down and there is no hope for you. But if we have shifted our life to Christ and we recognize who he is and know that he is big enough and strong enough and has the power and authority to handle it, then we can run to him, shift our life to him. But then what growing faith looks like is learning to rest in him. Where are you at in that? I, I think there are probably many of you that, that would say, Rusty, I have faith in Jesus. I know that, but I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm tired of trying to hold my own life up. Can I tell you what Jesus would say to you today? Rest in my completed work. And when we learn to rest in his completed work, here's the cool thing. We're actually freer to do things for the kingdom. Because the reality is, y'all, it's hard to be the hands and feet of Jesus when your hands and feet are busy trying to hold yourself up. I feel like my kids right now. <laughs> right? Sit, watch them down here. They hands and feet are everywhere, right? When you fully rest in Jesus, though, then we're free to serve him. We're free to do what it is that he's calling us to do. Are you resting in him today? If you're tired and you're weary, the invitation is to recognize who he is. Perhaps today you, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm praying that today that shift happens for some of you. That some of you move from faith in yourself to faith in Jesus Christ. When you recognize who he is, the only thing that makes sense is to run to him. But then once we're here, you know what the Christian life's about? Learning to rest. Learning to rest in Jesus. I pray that you would know him and rest in him today. You bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel that saves us and makes us like you. Thank you, Lord, for a faith that is strong enough that we can learn to rest in you. It's so difficult for us sometimes. We're tempted to try to do it on our own, to try to fix our own lives, to try to make ourselves who we think we need to be. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to rest in you so that we could be freed to be your hands and feet. God, I pray if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you today, that today would be the day of salvation. Or that they would make that shift from self to you. Lord, teach us every day as we seek to reach, teach, live, and love like you. Teach us as individuals and as families and as a church what it means to rest in you and your completed work. Oh, we need your gospel today to help us. We don't need man's worn out ideas of what it means. 
We need your grace to impart your truth to our hearts in a way that changes us.